Welcome to the Stories in Our Roots podcast. I'm your host, Heather Murphy. In this podcast, we dive deep into how knowing the stories of our ancestors can make a difference in our lives today. Discovering our family history is more than a hobby. It is a way to connect deeply with ourselves, those we love, and the world around us. Hello and welcome to another episode of Stories in Our Roots. I am Heather Murphy and I am so glad you have decided to join me today. Now, oftentimes when people research in their family history, they're looking for inspiration. They're looking for those ancestors who did hard things, who accomplished great things, who can inspire them in their own struggles and what they want to achieve in life. And that is what David Alston found. Now, David was adopted as a child, though the story is a little more complicated than that, as you will hear in this episode. But as he learned about his birth family, he discovered that he was related to Harriet Tubman. And knowing her and what she did, and that he had a blood relationship with her, inspired him as to what his purpose in life could be, and how he could move forward in helping other people to live their purpose. Here is the interview with David Alston. Hi, David. Thanks for joining me today. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Could you start by just giving us a little bit of an idea of who you are? Well, my name is David Alston. I currently live in North Carolina. I'm originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, I have an extensive background in education. I was an educator with children with disabilities for 20 years and Now I work with the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in their cancer research department. I am a podcaster. I host a podcast entitled The Underground Subway, and that podcast just deals with giving all of the tools and strategies needed for everyone to live a better life. And I use my experiences growing up and as an adult to try to help others. So I'm just a motivational speaker. I love talking to people and helping people to live a better life. Well, that's great. Well, let's talk about your story today. Can you talk about your younger years and finding out that you were adopted and how that affected you as a child? Well, I've always known that I was adopted. I was adopted at the age of seven months. And I've always known that I was adopted. My mother would always share with me, you were adopted and you have siblings out there somewhere. And she always tried to find them. She always tried to find my siblings and my biological mom, but she never could locate them. And so it was it was kind of difficult knowing that you're adopted and even more difficult knowing that somewhere out there you have brothers and sisters because I grew up in a home where it was just my mother and I. And so at that time, there was a heavy stigma on adoption to where it was almost an embarrassment. You didn't tell the other kids growing up in the neighborhood that you were adopted or you would get teased and ridiculed. And you go to the doctor and the doctor would ask you about your family history, medical history, and you couldn't say anything because you were adopted. You really didn't know. And so you have a lot of questions about your identity when, when you're with Uh, The family at their family gatherings, there's something inside of you that's thinking, I'm not really one of you, although I'm with you. And so it was always an inner struggle going on. 
And yet I didn't know how to attempt to find my siblings or my biological mother. But my adopted mother was trying, so I thought. So how did you come to find your biological family? At the age of 18 years old, my little cousin was about five or six years old, and he was looking through the Philadelphia phone book. So you're talking about a three to four inch phone book, and he's playing with the phone book. And my mom says to him, you need to put that phone book down before you tear it or rip the pages out. And he told her, well, I'm looking for someone. And she said, well, you don't know how to look for someone. Let me show you how to look for someone. So she opened the phone book and pointed to a name. And it was my biological mother's name. She was in shock because she had been looking for her for years again. So I thought she called her and asked her, was this the same lady that gave her baby away at seven months old? It was her. She arranged for a meeting that night for me to go to the house. When I went to the house, I immediately met my mom and my brothers and sisters. It was amazing because in the seventh grade, I walked out. I've always been a very shy person until I get to know you. And I was very shy. And I remember in the seventh grade, I walked into the hallway and I saw this beautiful young lady who was probably eighth, ninth grade. And the guys were telling me, you know, go say something to her. And I would tell them, no, no, there's just something about her. And when that night, when I went to the house and met my family for the first time, I met my brothers. I was in awe that here I am standing for the first time face to face with someone that looks just like me, that laughs like me. I met my nieces and nephews and I met my sisters. And then when I looked up, there was the girl that I had saw in the seventh grade standing there. And I pointed to her, it's you. Well, the girl happened to be my sister. So you kind of hinted uh, that you, so you thought that your mom was working to find your birth family. What do you mean by that? Well, one of the struggles that I've always had, all of this occurred back uh, at seven months old in the mid 60s. And so things were a lot different when you wanted to get a driver's license in the 70s. The only thing you needed to do was present a social security card and a baptismal certificate from the church, which I had that. The one thing that I never had was a birth certificate. I could not get a birth certificate because there was no birth certificate in existence with my name on it. And because there was no birth certificate with my name on it, of course, I couldn't obtain a passport. So I went for years trying to get a passport and get a birth certificate and to no avail. So when I tried to get a birth certificate, which I had one with my birth name, but I didn't have one with my adopted name. I went to senators, I went to attorneys, and I talked to everyone, and all of them told me the same thing, that I had a problem because I have a, an identity, but I don't have an identity. I have a name, but there's nothing attached to it. And that could eventually lead to a problem at retirement because without the birth certificate, there was no way of me proving who I was. I tried everything I could to get a name change, but every attorney and even the local senator said to me, you can't change your name from one thing to the same thing. And so I really just gave up. I had been asking my adopted mom for years 
Uh, she passed away in, in 2011. Before that, I had been asking her for years for my adoption papers because the attorney said if you had adoption papers, it would at least give us something to start to work with. So one day I'm talking to my biological mom and I told her, I said, you know, you think that I'm upset with you because you gave me away. We had had the conversation a couple of years earlier and I told her, I'm not upset with you that you gave me away because you could have put me in a dumpster. You could have placed me in a trash bag or threw me away, but you at least loved me enough to put me up for adoption. So we're talking one day and she's asking me, have, am I making any progress on getting my birth certificate and passport? And I says to her, no, I haven't gotten anywhere. The problem is I need my adoption papers. I said, and she died without giving them to me. Every time I asked for them, she would tell me they're in, in, in the closet in boxes or something. I have to dig through the boxes to find it. Once she died, we went through all of her papers and there were no adoption papers. So at that point, my mother says to me, after a moment of silence, and I said, why are you so silent? I need my adoption papers. There were no adoption papers. What do you mean there are no adoption papers? She said, when you were seven months old, she was going through a very difficult financial period. They were, every time the rent was due, they would move to another location. She was a single mother raising six children without any help. She said, my, my father totally walked away from her and didn't help her financially. So she spoke with a friend who said he had a friend who had a sister and the sister was a member of a church and that maybe the church would help. The woman came to the house and talked to my mother, that woman being my adopted mother. She then told my mother, I have an idea to help you. Let me have one of your kids to babysit long term. I will take the kid home. I will basically raise the child, take care of the child, feed the child. That way, financially, there's less of a burden on you to have to feed, clothe, and raise one of the babies. Let me do that for the baby. And then when you get on your feet, whether it's a week, whether it's six months or a year, whenever, you contact me, come by the house and get your baby back. My mother says, sure, that's fine. That's a big help. Well, when my mother got on her feet and went to the house to get me, no one came to the door. The neighbor came to the door and asked, ma'am, who are you looking for? And she said, I'm looking for Mrs. Austin. And the neighbor said, the woman that had the little baby? Yes. Oh, as soon as she brought the baby home, she moved away. I told her, do you know what you're saying happened to me? She said she moved away. No one could locate her. She went to the police. And of course, you're talking in the 60s. So you don't have Google and uh, any way of social media of tracking someone down. The police had told her, ma'am, you are exactly right. And what you're telling us that happened to your child, he was basically abducted. But the only issue is you gave the child to her. It's not like she came to your house and while you were using the restroom, she snatched your child and took off. You handed her the child and said, take the child home. Now you want to go get the child back. And she's gone. And she kept me forever. She said that when I was, and she, she said at that moment, she went into depression, not knowing where her child was. 
She said that the part about finding me in the book wasn't true. She said, I've always been in the phone book. She never looked for me. She said she started drinking real heavily because she had lost and had made the mistake of giving her baby away. She said that she went on like this for years until she would drink heavily until one day her sister came to the house and told her, I'm tired of you living this life. We're going to you go with me to church tomorrow and the pastor is going to pray with you so that you can stop drinking. And so she went with her to church that Sunday. And as the pastor was praying, he stopped and said, I have an idea. And this by this time, I'm about five or six years old. The pastor said at five years old, he has to be enrolled in school. So he took all of the church members and divided them into groups. And they went throughout the entire city to every elementary school asking for me. They came to the school where I was sitting and walked into the office and asked the secretary if I was enrolled there. The secretary said no, because she had enrolled me under the name David Austin and not my birth name. So later on, when I found my school enrollment papers, it had that my name, my birth, the name of this student is Edward Bright. However, he is being known as or going by David Austin. So at that time, the secretary said, there's no Edward Bright, but I was actually in the room. And so that was a very traumatic experience to find out that I was actually abducted. And what it did was it really made it really created a stronger bond between my mother and I. And so how did you move forward then with getting to know your biological family and and history from that point? Well, I really began to really spend more time with them. I went to my first family reunion and I took my daughter with me and they wheeled out this giant table with the family tree. And there was a gentleman there who was going to give a speech. And I'm saying, okay, you know, what is Why is this guy here to give a speech about our family? And my daughter looks at the family tree and she screams out, oh, my God, Dad, no one will believe this. None of my friends are going to believe this. And I'm, you know, what are you talking about? And when I looked at the family tree, there was my name on the family tree. However, when you looked at my biological grandmother, who was Gola Ross Bright, her maiden name was Ross. Her father was Henry Ross. Henry Ross, his brother was Benjamin Ross. So Benjamin Ross was my grandmother's uncle. Benjamin Ross's daughter was Araminta Ross. Araminta Ross and my grandmother were first cousins. And Araminta Ross then married a gentleman named John Tubman. So my grandmother was first cousins with Harriet Tubman, which makes me third cousins, or the technical term, first cousins twice removed from Harriet Tubman. And finding out that I was related, that my great-grandfather and Harriet Tubman's father were brothers, really catapulted me into a sense of destiny, into a sense of purpose. And so that's where the name of my podcast comes from, The Underground Subway, because it's a modern day of the railroad in which we are doing everything we can to lead people to live a, a life of liberty and freedom and a happier life. And so finding out who I am, although it, it took a tremendous journey, 
it was worth it to me. And the relationship that I had with my biological mom, because I asked her, why didn't you tell me this when I met you 30 years ago? And she said to me, I didn't really, I really didn't want you to have any ill feelings toward her. And I told her, it doesn't change how I feel about her, but it does change how I feel about you. And so I immediately called two separate family members on the on the adopted side and asked them their opinion of what happened. And both of them said, oh, I believe every word of it because the word that she gave to the family was that she found you on the church step. I said, wow. My daughter recalled a conversation that she heard with her and her sister one day, and the sister was telling her, you need to tell that boy the truth about what happened. And she told her sister, mind your business. He, he doesn't need to know anything. So it was validated on a lot of sides. But again, it really didn't make me bitter or angry toward my adopted mother at all. But it really opened up a lot of love for my myself and my biological mom. I remember the night that I met them for the first time. The only name that they knew of me was Edward, because that's my birth name, Edward. Well, when I went into the house that night to meet them, my sister walked over to me and said, hey, Edward, hey, Eddie, it's so nice to meet you. And I told her, my name is David. My name is not Edward. Well, the night that my mother, the last time I saw my biological mother before she passed away Christmas of last year, I was in the hospital with her, in the room with her, and she was... I could tell she was really at the end. The end was near. And as I walked out of the room, we told each other that we loved each other. And I told her, I said, well, hopefully I get to see you again real soon. And she said, "Okay, I'll see you later, David. And at that point, I turned around and I went back over to her. I looked at her and told her, my name is Edward. And the peace that came over her is just unparalleled. You know, I could just sense that closure for her and closure for me as well. That's my story. And and I'm not bitter. I'm not angry with anyone. I just use my story as fuel to, to others that no matter what you what you go through in life, whether you had a because I went through something that I had no control over. I went through being adopted. I went through being as an adopted child, being molested at 11 years old, I went through all of that. And it was no wrongdoing on my part, but it was all a part of the plan of life for me to be able to lead others, to help others to rid themselves of all chains and baggage that they have in life. That no matter what is holding you back, you can survive and you can make it. Mm -hmm. How has knowing your family history helped you to live your purpose in life? Because it gives me a foundation. It gives me a foundation of strength. It gives me, when I look at the one of the main things, the, the gentleman that, that day at the family reunion asked, you know, I, he asked, I asked the question, why is it so important for us to know who we're related to? And he said, you know, what you need to do is find certain qualities about Harriet Tubman. Keep in mind, Harriet's dad and your great-grandfather were brothers, but that also means that your great-great-grandfather was the same man who was Harriet Tubman's grandfather. So whatever the blood that flows in her, 
flows in you. Find some characteristics about her that you could say this applies to me. And so I started researching about her outside of the fact that she hated being late for anything, which is me. I hate being late. I have to be on time. There was an old story, an old question about her as to whether or not she carried a, a weapon, whether she carried a gun. And I found out that she did carry a gun. And the reason she carried a gun was not so much for those that were coming after her, but for that side of the family, the Rosses. I'm six foot two, but the Rosses were always a little short. Deep. They were very short, that side of the family. And so Harriet was a little small woman who would often lead men to freedom who were my size, 6'2", 6'3", 300-pound men who often got tired, who said, I'm not going another inch. And when they got tired, Harriet would pull that gun out and say, hold it. Yes, you are. You didn't come this far to stop. And I said, you know, that's me. I have that passion in life for pulling out a spiritual gun, so to speak, to tell people, I don't care how tired you are. I don't care what life has thrown at you. You're not going to stop. You can make it. And so I really enjoy it's something I enjoy so much. My passion is being able to talk to people and to push people and to to motivate people and to see that light go off and people that say, yes, I can make it. And that's what my family history has done for me. I think that's amazing. And and what I hope listeners take from their family history to take those strengths from ancestors who have accomplished things or parallel things that they want to do in their lives and use that strength and other characteristics to accomplish their purpose in life. Yes. And that that's amazing because, you know, you think about when, when a person thinks about Harriet Tubman and all that she did for others to, to offer a better life to others. Sometimes I think, how would she feel knowing that all she's done for people, knowing all she's done to help people live a life of liberty and liberty to live a life of liberty means to live without restraints, to be able to act, to think, to function without things holding you back. After all she's done for others, how would she feel knowing that her little cousin, her little third cousin was the one that gave up on life and I can't do it and I can't sit by and watch others do it. So I and everyone else, we have a responsibility to carry that torch, to find why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my purpose in life? Why did I survive being abducted? Why did I survive molestation? Why did I survive the embarrassment of being adopted or abducted? Why did I survive all of these things that I went through? There has to be a purpose. And when you find that purpose in life, you go for it and you don't let anything stop you from achieving your purpose. I think that is great advice and something that can make everybody's life a little bit better when they pursue that purpose and they gather strength from the generations that came before. If if they're lacking a little bit on their own, that's something that they can pull up and rely on. Yes. And I, I end every one of my podcasts the same way. Each episode, I always end it by saying, I need you to do me a favor tonight before you go to bed. I need you to find a mirror, look yourself in the eye and ask yourself this question. Today, did I do something to work toward my purpose or did I just waste another day? 
That's my motto. That's a great motto to have. And so how can people can connect with you if they would like to? Sure. Uh, the podcast website is www.theundergroundsubway.com. All of the podcasts are on there. I can be reached on social media, on Facebook at David Bright, B-R-I-G-H-T, Austin. Okay, and I will have links to that in the show notes to make it a little bit easier for listeners. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your experience with me. Thank you so much for having it. I love sharing my story, especially knowing that it can just help one person. If it helps one person, then my story didn't happen for no reason. Thank you for joining me today for Stories in Our Roots. Please help this podcast grow by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends. If you have feedback or would like to recommend someone to share their story, head to storiesinourroots.com and fill out the form. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.